much. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Good. Yeah, good. Um, so yeah, so a little bit different tonight. Josh and I are tag teaming the message today. I'm going to start out by reading um, a Bible passage to you, and then Josh is going to take some of the principles that we see in this passage and show it, show us how we can apply that to our lives. So the message today is called the power of praise. I'm going to add a little bit to that. It's the power and the promise of praise. I'm pretty sure that's a Midnight Oil song. No, it's power and the passion, I think. Power and the promise of praise. That's what we're looking at. So there you go. You got your three Ps in there. It's, we're already good sermon writers. You want that alliteration. You want the three things. So the power and the promise of praise is what we're looking at today. I'm going to see if this works. Oh, that's power. Um, okay. Question for you guys to start us off. What is praise? Um, I know it's always, I'm a teacher. I always start the lesson with a question and I look out and I see, you know, 30 deers in the headlight. Is it deers or deer? Deer in the headlight. I don't know what the plural is. Um, and you look like that right now. Deer, yeah. I see deer in the headlight. What is praise? What I think of praise when I hear that, particularly in a church content, uh, context, is I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And when I hear praise, I think of the two fast songs at the start of the service. The ones like One Way, Take It All, those types of things until you get to the slow, actual, meaningful songs. Um, but what is praise to you guys? What do you think it is? Um, it's a small room. You can count, shout it out if you want. Tim? Is that Google? So expressing warm approval or admiration. That's actually really helpful because I think if you can like de-Christianize the word praise and think about it in your normal life, if you hear someone being praised, what does that mean? Anyone else want to jump in? What is praise? No, so many ideas. Yeah, saying that someone's done something well. Exactly. So those two together, done something well, someone who's deserved um, admiration of some kind. Or warm approval. That sounds, it sounds kind of like just nice and warm and fuzzy instead of uh, the, the way that I think Christianity has said it, which is when you're like lifting God up to be the highest thing possible. Um, Pastor Brad, you got anything else to add? What is praise? What do you think it is? I'm just going to get you to preach. Oh, Jill. What is Pastor Jill? To lift up. Yeah, exactly. So we're like lifting up God in this case. So lifting him up, thanking him for what he's done. Next question. Oh, there you go. So if you like have to lift something up naturally, Newton's law, something else has to go down probably. So yeah, so you're lifting God up and underneath, um, you're putting yourself underneath God and saying that I'm less than you and you are, you are greater. That's good. Thanks, Ben, for that insight. So we've got what is praise? Next, W. Uh, why do we praise? Why do we do it? That's what we're made for. That's good. So we're made to praise. We're made to lift God up, put him in his place. Because he's worthy of it. Yeah, so we're doing it just because God in his nature is so worthy of praise that we, we, he deserves it. Anything else? Why else do we praise? Because we love him. That's a good reason. Thanks, Darren. Anything else? Happy? One more question for you guys, and then you're off the hook. You don't have to speak anymore. How do you praise? This is probably the hardest one of the lot. Personally, how are you guys living your life where you're putting God up into the, the top spot? What are some real practical ways that you guys do it? Singing. 
Yes, the two fast songs at the start. Or is it just like any any song? Yeah, I reckon. And then the rest, you never praise again. Yes, yeah, and I think that's a trap that I felt is the two fast songs at the start are a lot of hype. And then do you actually like praise the rest of your week? I don't think I did when I was 12. But I don't know, what does people do when they're 12? Anyone else, how do you praise? Any other thoughts? In all, oh, in all your victories. Lachlan, maybe you should be preaching today. Yeah, so remembering uh, all the things that happen and giving God credit and saying, God, thank you um, that you're taking care of me. Thank you that this happened. So praising him in the victories. Yeah, exactly. That's actually, that's actually really good. Thanks, Lachlan. Not actually, of course it would be good. How else? One more. This is what I do in the class. One more, and then everyone like looks at the smart kid <laughs> and tries to get them to like coach something out. Brad, yep, there you go. You've been dubbed in. You're the smart kid right now. How do you praise? Yeah, that's good. So yeah, that's it. So kind of similar to like what Lockie was saying. Thank you for the victories. That's good, guys. Um, that's not me done. I got like a, a Bible story to read to you guys from the Old Testament, from the book of Second Chronicles. There's two of them. Who's ever read Chronicles before? A couple people? It's, it's awesome. There's some crazy things that happen. Um, so 2 Chronicles 20 is where our story is coming from. Before we get to that, a little bit of backstory so that this story kind of makes sense in the flow of the narrative of everything that's happened in the Bible. We've got kind of towards the start of the Bible, uh, we've got a story where God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham's this really, really, really old guy who's got no kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, what a loser, right, Jill? <laughs> now he's uh, so he's just an old guy who's got no kids, and God comes to him and makes a promise to him and says, "I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the gr- uh, grains of sand on the ground, and as numerous as the stars in the sky. Um, I'm going to give you your people like a land, a land that I will show you." And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So that's a promise that God makes to Abraham. Uh, But not before too long, things go really badly. And this promised nation uh, ends up becoming uh, slaves in Egypt. So it's not looking pretty good. They're not in that promised land. And God comes in and rescues his people from Egypt, takes them to the promised land uh, called uh, Israel. Looks kind of nice. So that's the promised land. So puts him into this promised land uh, of milk and honey. And that was God's promise to them, that they would have this land. Um, But God said you could not fight and destroy the Moabites or the Ammonites, who, plot twist, were Abraham's nephews, uh, kids that he had with his daughters. That's kind of weird. But yeah, that's the Moabites and the Ammonites. Um, And here's the story. So it's pretty long, 30 verses long. um, But... It's the Bible, so you have to. Um, So as we read this story, keep an eye out for how are they praising? What are they doing that's actually showing praise? But also another one that's not up there, so you're going to have to remember it yourself without seeing it, is what is the promise that they're trying to remember? So how are they praising? And what is the promise that they're holding on to? So 2 Chronicles 20. So kind of halfway through the Old Testament if you're looking for it. Um, This is a story. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Menunites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. 
So this is about a couple hundred years after um, they first come into the land. A couple hundred years later, the king of Judah at that time is a man named Jehoshaphat, which is a great name, and everyone should name their kids that. Why not? Because it's got fat in it. <laughs> okay, so some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Uh, it is already, the army is already in Hezanon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So there's an army coming, and they all gather together. They're praying, they're fasting. They don't want to die. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. They have lived in it and have built it in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and you will save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, son of, he's got a lot of ancestors, as he stood in the assembly. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They'll be climbing up at the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeru... Jeru... <laughs> That's a weird one. Um, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your posi uh, positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Uh, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites uh, from the Kohatites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. That's about halfway through. But I just want to stop and just ask that question again. What is the examples of praise that you hear in this story? And what is the promise that they're holding on to? What have you guys picked up so far? What is the praise that they're doing? And what are the promises that they are remembering? The land was promised to them, absolutely. They know that the land was promised to them and they say to God, God, this is our promised land. And you said that if we pray to you, that you would, uh, and if we follow you, that we're going to have this land. 
but we've got people coming, and that shouldn't be happening. So they're holding on to that promise that the land is theirs. Absolutely. Well done, Tim. Now, what's the, what are they doing to praise God? It's right up here, if you missed it. Yeah, Ben, so we got here. That was the very beginning, so let's go back. There you go, Lord, the God of our ancestors, that one. So it's like kind of, what was that, sorry, Lee? Yeah, so you're kind of like remembering who God is. So it's kind of what you said right at the start, Ben, like you're putting God up, you're remembering exactly who he is. He's the God of the heavens. He's the God who is in charge of all of creation. Surely this God, who is the God of all the heavens in charge of creation, can step in and look after his people. Surely he has that power. So yeah, they're remembering and praising God for who he is. Anyone else? What are some examples of praise you see in the story? Brad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's the promise that God is going to be their God, and if they need him, they give him a call, and he'll come. That's pretty cool, actually. I think we can definitely take something away from that. Um, let's keep going with the story, because it gets... And then they fall down and worship right at the end, yeah. So they hear, they remember the promise. They hear the promise that God is going to look after them from this guy. So it's kind of two levels of promise. This guy... Um, What's his name? Jehaziel says that God is going to come, going to deliver them. And then from there, they, they worship and they say thank you. And they celebrate, I guess, in a way, what God's going to do. Then early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Um, so you've got this army going out and in front of them you've got this advance force who's singing God's praises. I think that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and as they began to sing and praise... So as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So these guys all start attacking each other. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, so they're pulling up, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a vast, a great amount of equipment and clothing and order, also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Berakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Berakah to this day. So they're kind of doing what you said, Lockie, where... At the end of this great victory that they did absolutely nothing um, for, they, they thank God for doing what he did. Um, my question to you guys, 
after reading this story, what do you think the power of praise is? Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, absolutely. And so they're like holding on to God's promises that this is their land. And if we ask God for help, that he will come and he will take care of us. And God delivers. God shows himself to be the one who is on top over everything, the ruler of creation. And one who is faithful to actually have his promises, uh, to go through with his promises. Uh, I think that's the really amazing thing in this story is you see the faithfulness of God, that he is actually going to follow through on what he says he's going to do. He promised the land to the Israelites. He's going to give the land to the Israelites. So this idea that God is going to follow through with his promises is one that we can take hold to, um, one that Josh is going to talk about in a minute. Um, but we can hold on to this idea that God is faithful and he will do what he said he's going to do. With that in mind, Josh, it's all yours. If you can you hear me? You got me there, Mitch? Oh, nice. I might make use of this. So, <clears throat> from Jehoshaphat's family, uh, we learned that they were able to praise in spite of the large army around them because they were able to hold on to God's uh, specific promise for their trial. So I want to unpack this a little bit more and, and we can learn how we can apply this to our life. The so last week, Brad talked about how to praise God in the middle of trial um, and he encouraged us to rejoice and adore and to worship even in the eye of the storm. As I considered this, I began thinking, what about if we don't have peace? Are we, what if we're weighed down uh, by our trial or by our pain? Um, how can we experience worship and praise without feeling like we're faking it? Um, because p- worship and praise requires faith, right? Worship is a posture of adoration towards our Father. We sort of talked through a few of those things earlier today. But um, it's, it's unadulterated ex- uh, expression of love and joy about everything that he is and the fact that we can step into his presence um, and embrace him so intimately. But when we're feeling overwhelmed, how can we rejoice? How can we ignore the pain? For me, I need to address the specific deception the enemy has me believing with the truth of God's promises. We need to build out our toolkit, and I'll go through some promises later on. Uh, But as an example, when I'm feeling anxious or stressed, it's Philippians 4, 6, 7. Um, Do not be anxious for anything, but in all circumstances, release your worries to God, and the peace that transcends all understanding will guard my heart. Or it's, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. These promises become my defense when the enemy comes to steal my peace. And when researching for this word, I googled how many promises there are in the Bible. Does anyone want to have a guess at how many there are? Have a stab, 365, any more than that? Nope, 2,000. There are 7,487 promises from God to man. That's one promise for nearly every day, uh, for every day in nearly 21 years. So this tells me God understands we need constant reassurance, and that a lot of very, and that we need a lot of very specific promises to help defend against the constant fiery darts. So um, one important point I want to make is that it's essential that we don't have blind faith in times of trial. I want to ask the question: When walking down a dark street or a period of trial. What are the truths that we're telling ourselves to give us comfort and peace? Are we saying, I will not fear because God's got me. He will protect me from any physical harm. He'll keep me healthy. He'll keep me safe. Nothing will happen to me because I'm his child. 
I'd suggest that whilst there are significant elements of truth in those statements, they're way too broad and they fall down when the enemy comes back with a specific deception. He says, you say God will keep you safe, but what about all the Christians who get mugged on the street? Or what about all the Christians that get sick? Do we have our answer to that? Or even further down the line, if we broadly believe that God will give us health, wealth, or prosperity, <clears throat> uh, what happens when we do, do get sick or experience extreme poverty? Um, do we now question whether he really cares uh, because he didn't meet our expectation? So it would be very difficult to enter worship or to praise if we're struggling with thoughts like this. So this blind promise of physical um, prosperity was the same lie the devil tempted Jesus with. He said, Jesus, you're hungry. Why don't you trust God to give you bread from this stone? Jesus, you're the son of God. Prove it. Jump off the temple and God should, should save you from any harm. We know that Jesus was able to defend against these deceptions because he had a firm grip on the truth of God's promises as a source of his strength through his trial. So to bring us back to the key point, when we are in trial, let our faith rest on the truth of God's promises. Let us build out our ammunition so that as the deceptions of the world come for our peace, we can lunge back with the sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, with a direct hit, a targeted promise that puts the enemy back under our feet. May we let our faith and our peace rest on God's truths so that when we enter worship or praise, we may experience a truly quiet, peaceful adoration for our Father in the middle of our storms. <clears throat> so tonight, I want to share some of the promises that I rely on when the enemy comes with deceptions to steal my peace. First one, Romans 8, 28, he will use it for good. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who, are, who have been called according to his purpose. Something Josiah said the other day that I'd love to steal. Uh, he said, cliches are just forgotten truths. Um, and I think sometimes this can be almost a Christian cliche, but that doesn't reduce the power of the statement. It calls us to have faith in all things, good and bad, and to trust that God's hand is on the situation. He knows what's going to happen and he will use it for our good. The next one, surely I will be with you. The Great Commission calls us to go out into the world and to fulfill God's purpose and, and promises that Jesus will be with us on this journey. The final beatitude in Matthew 5, verse 10, promises that as we do this, we will be persecuted. So we will experience trial, but we will take confidence knowing that we are not alone. In verse 12, the follow-up promise is that as we persevere in righteousness, great is our reward in heaven. So he calls us to have an eternal view to our persecution. Next one, uh, not more than you can handle. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This verse fills me with faith that if I can put my trust in God, my current trial will not be more than I can handle. And God will provide a way out. It may not be when or how I expect it, but he'll provide a way out in his timing. The next one, God has ultimate authority. So we read in Job that Satan had to ask permission to persecute Job and that God allowed it, but he put boundaries around Satan's permission. In Job 1.12, we see Satan was not, not given permission to touch Job's body. He was allowed to touch his farms, his wealth, his family, but he wasn't allowed to kill Job. Similarly, during the Last Supper, Jesus told the disciples that Satan had asked permission to sift them as wheat, or in other words, to test them. And God granted permission. 
So from these passages, my confidence is that if the enemy tests me directly, my father has allowed it, and Satan's testing still falls subject to my father's boundaries. So consider it pure joy, James 1, 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. This tells me that there is a purpose to our pain, that through our trial God is working and he will use our trial to bring about spiritual maturity and completion, features that he can use in you to greater further his kingdom's purpose. So in summary, I like to have these as sort of arrow responses when the fears are just overtaking my mind. Um, Hand it over and his peace will guard your heart. He will use this for my good. He will be with me. He knows I'm experiencing this. It will not be more than I can handle. He will provide a way out. The enemy can only touch me to the degree that my father allows. And God knows what I need. Seek first his kingdom and leave the rest in his hands. These promises call us to have an eternal perspective towards our trial, to trust God's providence, to lean on his presence and his comfort and have faith that he has ultimate authority and will bring us through in accordance with the purpose for our lives, his purpose for our lives. I want to put a quick caveat when we are weak. Does any of this mean that in order to worship or in order to praise, we need to be biblical scholars to fight the enemy with our knowledge? Absolutely not. Second uh, Corinthians 1.3 tells us that our Father is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those around us. And Matthew 11.28, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. The point is, if we're feeling too battered by our trials, God is abounding in love and mercy and will give us that rest. So as I finish up, and we might get the worship team to um, play some worship songs. <laughs> um, let us rejoice in spite of our trials because he is victorious, victorious. And the battle is won. May we hold nothing back when entering worship and praise, enjoying his presence. And I want to leave with that question that we had at the beginning. When experiencing periods of trial, what are the truths that we rely on to maintain peace and to build our faith? Are they vague or are they straight from God's mouth, full of power to build our faith? Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Uh, we're going to go into a time of, of praise now um, where we actually get to remember some of these promises. Sarah, can I have that slide up, the key promises one, if that's possible? Um, as we praise now, I want you guys just to have a look through these uh, lists of key promises that we've got up here and hold on to one. And exactly like we saw in that story of the... Um, you know, the, the people of Judah, how they came to God and they said, God, this is what you've promised. And remember that God is faithful and that he can do them. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, right now is uh, we're going to sing a song called Yes and Amen, how God is one who is going to keep his promises. So I encourage you guys to stand. We're going to have the lyrics up in a, in a minute. So just have a look through those promises that God promises that you can hand over your problems to him and his peace will guard your heart. He will use this for his glory and for your good. He will be with you. He knows that what you're experiencing right now, it will not be more than you can handle. 
he will provide a way out. The enemy can only touch me to the degree that my father allows. And my God knows what you need. Uh, so seek his kingdom and leave the rest in his hands. So some great promises that we can pray into. So I'm, I'm hoping one of those resonates with you guys. But as we sing this song, I encourage you to pray to God. Remind him of this promise. And remind yourself of how great he is.